Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Can you see me in the dark, curled up and hiding places? Give you permission. Come and find me under all my different, different Hello and welcome faces. to another episode of I'm Not Being Funny But, the podcast where we ask the questions we pretend we knew the answers to, or the ones we didn't think to ask. Now, parents are always a prickly, hairy, protruding kind of subject. I don't know about you, but going through university, I feel like sharing your sex life with somebody was an intimate act, but talking about your relationship with your parents to somebody meant you were real friends. Knowing from your own experience it's hard to talk about your relationship with your parents, it can often be the case that when you stumble upon somebody who has a particularly unusual or complex parent, talking about it seems awkward. In fact, the best thing to do is smile and say... Oh, that sounds hard for you. I have to admit that has sometimes been my approach to the problem of parents. Um, and then I met my friend Charlie. When I started this podcast, I knew she was one of the people that I wanted you to meet too. Charlie, even more than just leaking information or, or little snippets about her relationship with her mum, is one of the first people I met who actively wanted to share her very heartbreaking and in a lot of cases quite hilarious relationship with her mum. We talk about how class structures play into talking about mental health, we talk about the shame of luxury and benefits, and how to ask or support somebody who is supporting somebody with a mental illness. I hope you enjoy it and love Charlie as much as I do. Being here, Charlie. Oh, pleasure. Pleasure to <laughs> pleasure. be here with such a pleasure. wonderful woman. <laughs> this is all about people who have a close relative, the children of mental health survivors. <laughs> I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, I feel mm. like a lot of the coverage of mental health 
and stuff like that is always about the person who is suffering which yes. is obviously really really important yep. um, and we will also like it's really good for me to like learn how to react to those people and, and support them mm-hmm. as a friend but I never really hear from people who are really close to those people who have struggled with mental health and how yeah. it affects them and I am also aware that that's an experience that I have no idea about and it's easy for me to read up really fast on how to react to people who've got mental health problems and how to help them and how to be very PC about it and not like you know try try and not say the wrong thing but then I'm also aware there's probably lots of things that I could say to you that are offensive or things that would be intolerant or things that might like assume that I know your experience when I don't yeah would you say that's fair? 100% (laughs) he's got me in one end of podcast (laughs) Um, I think that um, with with mental health issues, or I, I I really struggle with the right terminology because I my go to is I always want to say mental health problems, but obviously it's not always a problem. And mental so health like mental is, health status. Yeah, well, everyone has mental health, right? So mm-hmm. not there isn't people who have mental health problems and people who don't. Everybody has mental health, and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. But with with mental health, it's because we are social animals. Mm-hmm. We all of our lives we interact with everybody around us and um your um disability if you're really suffering is going to affect your social relationships with everybody around you so to think that a mental health illness only affects the person that is at the core of it is is not true because obviously your relationships with your whole family and all of the things that you would usually be doing are affected so if you're a mother you can't care for your children in the same way that you would be able to if you didn't have mm. a mental health illness. And if you're a child, you can't have the same relation. It just changes all of your relationships. Yeah. So, yeah, 100%. Mm. And um, as a child of somebody who suffers badly with their mental health, I think that's the right way to say it. Mm. Should I just give you a rundown of yeah, do. my my mum and my life? <laughs> give it to me. So... <laughs> My it starts on a dark day in June. <laughs> a child was born. <laughs> it was a dark, dark night and the rain came down do, in torrents. Do you know what? It kind of does start like that with my mum because my I'm um, I'm 31 now and I've Congrats. got... Thank What's you. What's it like on the other side of 30? It's, 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 it's lovely. Like, it's not as dark as you I feel like I've survived. I'm a, I'm a survive, survivor of the 20s. Um, but yeah, so my uh, my parents were together when, when I was young and I've got an older brother they were all very happy. And then when I was born, my mother suffered really, really badly with postnatal depression. And that postnatal depression over the years has spiralled into lots of different things. And her diagnosis is insane. Like she's had... Literally. Sorry. That's not funny. That, do you know what? See, that, that's See, something I shouldn't is, do. <laughs> no, but I shouldn't do that. That's me. That's me saying insane. I don't mean it like that. And I use the words crazy and mental and I use them in all the wrong ways. Mm. And I don't mean to, but... But we also know I'm 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 learning and... too. So she's had lots of diagnosis over the years. It's um, been manic depression, bipolar, schizophrenia... And at the moment, it's manic affective disorder, which is I think it's they've kind of it's a new, a, a new term for basically all the different types of mental health issues that she's been dealing with. So she has mm. um, periods of mania, periods of schizophrenia, and also sometimes like deep depression. So it's a real mixed bag, and it's um, mm. yeah. So she over the years, probably since I've been born, she's been sectioned. I think it's seven times. Um, she's been in and out of hospital, 
Um, and yeah, for a lot of my childhood, she was in hospital and then she was home. So there's lots of um, adjusting depending on what her mood was. Mm. But yeah, a lot of our, my life has been defined by her mental health. So there's never been a point in your life where she's not been dealing with that? Or... Well, it's difficult to say because there are times of recovery and there are times of when she's feeling good. Mm. Um, and I think I really try and shy away from saying she's well or she's unwell because for her, that's never going to be the case. Whereas I think some people, like a lot of us will deal with a period of depression or maybe anxiety and depression within our lives that might be connected to different stresses you know like if you're if you're bereaved or if you're going through a particularly hard time at work or the breakdown of a relationship it's very There's common timeline there to be like, yeah and here people, are the points people that... really feel like they've been in it and then they've come out of it whereas for my mum it's never quite been like that I think you know before I was born she had suffered with depression and some some other difficult times in her life but from that postnatal depression things really got much much worse and it kind of changed her life to how it is now mm. <gasps> I'm not I'm not breathing in between, <laughs> like that. In between. and then, and then <laughs> do you know what I didn't yeah. know this was going to be so emotional to talk about I'm oh, like shaking yeah. oh, God. Okay. I don't know if it's because yeah. you give me four cups of coffee <laughs> <laughs> really caffeinated but yeah I was just like yeah I'm really chill about my mom's mental health I can talk about okay, it anytime well, anywhere <laughs> like it's chill it's fine um, I think because you started talking to me about it quite early on in our friendship. Right? <laughs> but the like moment we met. Of, yeah, you were like, <laughs> it was this point of humour when you were like telling me funny stories and they were all linked to yeah. having this. But I suppose, you know, I, I, do you always feel like you want to be the person to mention it first? Because yeah. you definitely did with me. You're always the person who's like, by the way, my mum's <laughs> section. I've been, I've been <laughs> shaped by this, so yeah. understand me for who I am. Um, yeah, 100%. I've always been quite open about it. I think it's a... You know, when I grew up in a quite a small town in Hampshire and everybody knew. So it you know, she used to be a dinner lady at our school and when she would come in and be a dinner lady, it would be after she came out of hospital and then the next term she wouldn't be there because she might be back in hospital and she did a lot of work in our school, so she'd come in and do reading with the kids and she'd work at the charity shop near the church. She used to go to big, you know, was a big part of the community. Yeah. So she wasn't this every, like invisible figure. Everyone knew. Mm. And she's a real force of nature, my mum. Like her personality, like I I really love her. And you know when people are like, um, I mean this might be sound a bit weird, but you know when people are like, oh she's she's just she's so fiery. She's you know, people kind of love mm. this idea of these kind of wild women. Like my mum is the sort of person that you can't ignore her if she walks in the room. Like she is full of life. She's very beautiful, but I sort of watch her from afar because a lot of the time her mental health um, kind of prevents her from having a traditional mother-daughter relationship with me. Right. So I see... I see all the reasons why people love her and I get little snippets of it here and there. I mean, as she's getting older and her mental health is, isn't recovering in the same way that it used to when I was younger, I'm, I miss that mm. a lot. But yeah, she's, she's the sort of person that everyone knows. Yeah. She'll cause it, she, you know, when she's feeling particularly unwell, she'll cause a scene at the local bank. <laughs> she'll, <laughs> I, she, you know, I remember walking to school. I used to walk to school with a girl down the road from me and my mum had an argument with... Um, her dad in the bank about something financial but she wasn't very well at the time and she followed me to my friend's house and the, her mum answered the door and my mum was just like and this Mrs Barclays and I was like oh god she's on a rant and <laughs> like, like oh, she'd like take the 
shopping trolley from the local supermarket and decide she wants to take it home because she's paid a pound for it and would be walking around town so everyone's that sort of that idea of like the crazy lady was my mum and I don't want to use crazy in a derogatory way I want to be really careful about that but sometimes Mm -hmm. using language that people understand when they're not in tune and signifies with signifies yeah because we're talking about stereotypes we're talking yeah, about like okay the crazy exactly. lady around town that's what people obviously call that's it. not her but but that, it, it, it is kind that. of what she's seen as because i think i think in some ways like and like when i when you know maybe i can't really remember how i felt when you told me but i feel like my initial reactions would would to be to to, to assume that she was invisible in the community or that she yeah. was just away somewhere or like mm. you know i don't know this is like this idea of the ill parent <laughs> yeah being, yeah like elsewhere no one's like, no one's seen sees charlie's mum because she's resting <laughs> at like, home we don't ask where charlie's mum is no but i think the type of mental health um issues that she deals with are very visible and very big i think when and you're public. dealing with mm. um periods of mania mm. you don't want it, to it's not like some people who deal with with very severe depression might mm. might disappear from from public life but public life it sounds like <laughs> So celebrity. Like she's like a celebrity, but she's very much in public life. Like yeah. she, um, her relationships completely changed, but she's always been very, very social. Mm. And so when you grow up with that, you you know everyone knows. So I always want to talk about it as much as I can. So people, the fact that pe- the people might be talking about it behind our backs is more harmful than me talking about it to them. Right. And so I can like set things straight if I know. First. Yeah, so I think because of my childhood living in that small community when I moved to London, I wanted to make sure it was still a part of my identity mm. in a way. I don't know. Could you think some people would react and say, oh, I just want to leave that all behind, or like, I just want to be Charlie now. <laughs> I don't want to be Charlie, the mum with the, the, the person with the eccentric mum. Yeah, like, I guess there's a part of that. Some part of me, I mean, I have moved away from that town mm. and... I think a lot of it is to try and figure out who I am because when you have a mother that's so unwell, a lot of your a lot of my teenage life, especially after my dad left, um, my brother wasn't kind of as active in her care as I was. So mm-hmm. I there was a lot of growing up I had to do and there was a lot I didn't know about myself until I was able to remove myself from like day to day with her. So yeah, I had a lot I had a lot to figure out. I was really like really grown up in some ways because you obviously when you become somebody's next of kin and you're responsible for them when if if when you're over eighteen you can sign you well you have to sign for them to be sectioned. You have to be the person that's looking after their finances, be the person that's dealing with all of their paperwork and making sure they're safe when they come home and they're released into sorry, I keep I keep burping. (laughs) It's like emotionally. I think I'm feeling the really... That's just like emotional gas. <laughs> I have had a lot of history coffee. History gas, when I talk about history. Um, yeah, you're dealing with a lot of kind of practical stuff. So I learned quite quickly how to, um, you know, look after bills mm. and banking. And she needs to get to she needs to get to hospital she needs to do this she needs to do that and it's you're on autopilot with that but then I I remember being at university and I was watching something about um I was watching a film about um a lesbian relationship and I was like hmm am I a lesbian and I was just literally it came to us I have never ever thought about this because I didn't have that time time to explore (laughs) my sexuality or explore I mean that this people who grow up with me would be like, shut up, you were having sex from yeah. fifteen. <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> 
feel like no, but like intellectually explore my yeah, my but like just stop and think about what your life as an adult means to you. I then thought about that at university. I mean, <laughs> I I, I think I'm I think I'm straight. I've married a man. I've had lots of relationships. <laughs> like, I've relationships with men, but I was quite excited, and I was like, oh my god, maybe I could explore that. Maybe I could think about that, and yeah. I, I thought about lots of new things when I was away from her, is yeah. what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, So, yeah, like, that was the making... Yeah. Yeah. And can I say one thing, as we are recording, yeah. that I have to be really, really clear about is the story of my mother's mental health is often told by me because mm. I am seen as somebody who might be more well than she is, even though I don't agree with those terms, but it's very much my idea of the story and my narrative because mm. I think in life there's no such thing as absolute this 100% happened exactly like this but Mm. I'm much more capable of telling the story of my childhood which she has such a big part in than she is she could never sit down with you and really give you a very very true account of her mental health so I have to tell it but it's very much biased by my own experiences and the sort of bubble I live in and so it's quite a responsibility and I have to be quite careful what I say because from my perspective she might be unwell, but from her perspective, she might be well. And I think it's quite important to understand. Yeah, to, like, know that it's secondhand. But then it's also, like, part of your role isn't just, like, you know, caring for her and being, like, kind of a daughter, but then also kind of a mum. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it's also, That like, role reversal is probably one of the most yeah. challenging things. And, and it's, like, trying to be her witness and take down her story. Yeah. While also, like, being part of it and, like... Yeah, and also, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but they still very frequently use electric shock treatment. So she's had it, I think she's had it about three times, where, I mean, if you don't, if you've not seen it before, it's often, um, you often see it in, like, old films. It's, like, a very Victorian thing. Yeah, (laughs) where you you basically put um, some sort of a helmet on and they send electric shocks through your brain. And when you're dealing with mental health, like, kind of mania... Mm. and very um, personality disorder type of mental health problems, um, it can be really effective at resetting the um, the kind of the balance in your brain. And often when we talk about my mother's mental health, we talk about the imbalance in her brain. Um, and there's been a couple of times where it's worked extremely well, where she's had it and then she's, she's just because she's come home and she's been very stable. And then, but the sort of downside of it is she has blank periods in her memory where she can't remember things and she can't remember what's happened. And I know she had a very... When I was about 21, um, there was a new type of medication brought out called clozapan, and um, it's very dangerous medication because it can really mess up your blood cells. So she has to have blood... She's been on it since then, so about 10 years now. But um, it can really mess up the balance of your blood cells. So we had to sign a thing to be like, she's going to take this to try and give her... um, a normal life um, rather than being kind of staying quite unstable and unwell for the rest of her life and she can stay in her home um, anyway so she takes that medication and it's and it's really really helped and she's had a long period of, of of being quite stable she has had a couple of breakdowns within the last 10 years but all in all she's been much more stable than she has in the past but when there was a time where she was particularly well and I was 21 and I think she was so shocked at how old I'd got and Mm. there's so much she doesn't remember and so much that she feels like she's missed out on and she'll try and be the mum to the 11 year old but yeah I'm 21 now and yeah that is 
the most heartbreaking mm. because, you know, there are things you just remember. So the electric shock treatment is is still happening. And, it, I, and I, I don't know, I'm really interested in it because it's something that the doctors will do. And it's like, hold on, I thought this was really brutal and really awful. Yeah, but, but then, then if you're in some ways, effects that yeah. are good, you're like, oh, but... And yeah. I've, tried to, I've tried to talk to her about it. But she gets very upset because I think it's very confusing. Because I'm like, well, what did it feel like? What, you know, and yeah, she just can't remember. And there are things that she does when she's particularly manic. Um, like, for example, when I was, uh, when I was like 18, I was in college. She told, um, she told people at my college that I was a prostitute and that I had AIDS and she threw out so all... <laughs> no, but <laughs> it's, like... it's funny. Like, I think if we don't laugh at this, yeah. we're going to cry, right? <laughs> at the time, I was just literally like, I don't even know how to react to this. But she threw out but all of my clothes and I didn't have any clothes. Well, like, all of them? <laughs> yeah, because she thought... I mean, it's, she's obviously... wasn't didn't understand what she was doing, but in her mind, she thought all oh, the clothes has, had AIDS on them. I mean, obviously, that's okay. not how you get AIDS. Let's be very clear. But I mean, she she was very unwell at the time, and I was just like, I just, can I? I was like asking people if I can borrow clothes. <laughs> and you're like, why? And you're like, well, my mum threw them away because they have AIDS. Yeah, but I don't have. AIDS. And I just started. I started seeing a new boyfriend, and he was like, rang me and was like, I think no, he texted me and was like, oh, I think your mum's telling everyone you've got AIDS. I was like, okay. <laughs> and it's oh. like you know, you have to go and explain to people what's happened okay so i'm thinking of like the x factor style approach to tragedy where it's like you know do you ever find that people are like that must be so hard for you yeah please cry in front of me on cue yeah and then also like the the takeaway that they want that is that is um but you wouldn't have any other way right and like your (laughs) life is your life has been better and you've learned loads oh god yeah do you you feel like people hashtag no regrets those two sides of the narrative on you because that always like makes me really uncomfortable on x factor Mm. when they're like this person has been through this horrible thing but it's made me strong yeah Yeah. i think um, are you gonna go on x factor and sing evergreen and everyone's gonna cry (laughs) well when um that element of it when i did i did a tv show called tribal wives when i did that tv show um, they got people, real women in their everyday lives, going away to live with a tribe. Mm. Brilliant. F- fucking fantastic. I want to mm. go live with a tribe. I, n- I wasn't, you know, I'd never really left the UK much apart from like a girl's holiday to Magaluf. Yeah. And I was really excited. <laughs> and But the kind of, the thing about it was, was when they spoke to me, they obviously found out about my mum and my childhood. And I think that was the reason they put me through for the programme. Yeah. So the top of my television debut, I was really excited about, was me being like, my childhood was really difficult. This is what happened to me. Yeah. And it was that, I was like, oh my God, I'm that's how I'm being defined mm. as... As the 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 young the woman the that mom. that has has a sick mum, and so much of my life has been defined by that. But she's my mum. Why would I not want to be defined by her? I love her. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I like, yeah. it is is hard. I think in terms of people's reactions to when when you've got somebody who's who's been so sick, is there is that thing of oh poor you, your life shouldn't have had to have been like this, mm. and look how well adjusted and fine you are now. And for so long, I took that sort of narrative and being like, yeah, it's great that I'm still here and still functioning or whatever you see as being healthy or Mm. good or kind of virtuous. And I always took that compliment on and was like, yeah, this is who I am. But then you, you delude yourself into the fact that you are okay because everybody wants you to be okay. 
and they make an assumption that you're okay before they've really checked. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, yeah. When I've or they had... don't leave room for you to not be okay. Yeah. And it's just like, look at you, you're not fucked up. And it's like, we are all <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. I am deeply fucked up. Like, <laughs> I am... Yeah. My, my mental health isn't good. Mm. I mean, actually, no. It, my mental health is varied, is the truth. Yeah. Like, I've had um, depression. I've had anxiety. I've even, you know, I've, I've had times where I've been... Had, had eating disorders and, like, self-harm. Mm. And because of the the you know comparing that to what my mum's been through because my experiences haven't been completely life-altering and um haven't led me to hospital and haven't you know um they've not been as serious and they've not been as as life-changing as my mother's so I'm like I'm fine but it's like you go to the doctor and you're like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm just like crying every day and I don't know why and I can't get up and I'm this and they're like, you've got depression and I'm like, no, no, I've seen has. depression, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I have, I've got my yeah. own um, prejudice about mental health that I never thought I had because I had a mum that's got mental health problems. But, but so for me, my role was always yeah. to protect her, to look after her, and so much of my focus in my life was to do with that that when I moved away from home went to university I was so riddled with guilt I mean I didn't nearly didn't go but with mental health you the way you care for them isn't the same way you'd care for somebody with very physical um, issues so there's not much I can do day to day for her what I can do for her is make sure her finances are okay make sure she has a safe warm home to live in and that she has a community of people around her that we can call upon if we need to it's like when you have um, a child and you you remove all the all the, the, the sharp corners yeah. and you make sure they don't go too close to the edge and I feel like my duty and my role to her is to do that so she can live her life what she doesn't need is her grown-up daughter being like are you okay are you okay do you need anything can I make you dinner can I do this for you because she needs to be able to do those things for herself and that's the whole point of her personal recovery um but when I was removed from her, when I when I left home and I moved to London, which is only an hour away, it's not like I was yeah. the other side of the world. And I always made sure I had a car that I can get back to her and mm. I can be there for her when I need to. But I just fell into this depression and I'd never... It, I, it opened my eyes so much to what what depression is, what it, you know, it, it, a small a small part of what it feels like, what it might have felt like for her. But I was so in denial that it was happening to me and yeah. that you could have that. Because you'd had this really close proximity, like, demonstration. So you're like, it's okay, I've yeah. named that. That's what depression is. And, and the fear of it, that yeah. I might get sick like she get, she gets sick. Yeah. But why am I so afraid of that? Because, I mean, I am because her life, she, there are points where she's had a very, very tough life. And I, I, I'm scared yeah. for that. And I'm scared for the people around me that they might mm-hmm. have to look after me the way that we look after her. I am afraid mm-hmm. of that. But... Yeah, but it's all of my own prejudice coming out. Mm. And I was like, I always think I'm this really, like, right-on person. And then when it happens to me, I'm like, can't be happening to me. <laughs> I'm like, I'm Surely, invincible. yeah. It's like, it's always important to recognise your weaknesses and yeah. flaws, apart from when it's me, and then I am the strongest person ever. Yeah, and then I mm. started analysing my own mental health and the way I cope with things. And, you know, I've always had something that I do to cope. Like, when I was a kid, I used to pull out my hair. Mm. I had a really thick parting at points. And then people started noticing it, so I started pulling out the hair in the back. Mm. And then when I was a teenager, I used to I used to make myself sick. Mm. Um, and I wouldn't go as far to say that I had a real, real problem with bulimia, because I don't think... I think that's disrespectful to people that have very, very serious 
um, eating disorders, but mm. I do something that harms myself. And yeah. I am even still now trying to struggle to get out of that that routine. And I replace it with different things because it's like my little coping strategies. And in, you know, I'm 31 now. I got married last year and I've got a long-term relationship with somebody who is very close to me and in my life and is now my closest relationship. Because for so... I mean, well, he, he's been my closest relationship for a long time because we've been together a long time. But for most of my life, it was my mum. She was my person that we're close to. But because my role was more dominant in caring for her, I got away with pulling my hair out. I got away with making yeah. myself sick. Mm. Um, I got away with, um, you know, overworking. Like, I'm a bit of a workaholic and I'll push myself mm. to crazy points to make my, and I make myself unwell. But then when you've got somebody in your life that's close to you, mm. he's like, what are you doing? Mm. You're hurting yourself. Why yeah. you, Why do you do like, that to oh, yourself? You're here now and and you're it's noticing. like, stop being a witness to me. <laughs> <laughs> Let yeah. me just get on with this. And I, I remember being a kid, I used to sit in the car and just hold my breath for as long as I could. And then be like, <gasps> and my dad was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and it's like, nothing, I'm yeah. fine. And then I had a thing mm. where I couldn't walk up the stairs and I would count at the bottom of the stairs and like little like kind of twitches and little things that affect my mental health that I need to address to calm myself down and you know Mm. anyway I I have I have I have lots of weird things that happen when people go you're so fine and well adjusted and it's like like, well no because I can't walk upstairs without counting them and um I you know there's lots of peripheral things that might not be like yeah. yeah So before we turn the mic on, we were talking about like different ways. We said we would never speak about what we spoke about before the mic had turned on. It's going to the press. It's going to the press. Um, About this idea of like passing privilege or like the fact that I could maybe meet you in a professional setting. Yeah. And um, I would I wouldn't guess that you'd lived in a house without heating. Like you know I might I don't know. There's there's a way of like me taking social cues from yeah. where you are and assuming the life that you've led. Yeah. You know? And is yeah. that, like, how have you ever, like, how have you experienced that with people? And, like, do you... And, yeah. Does it frustrate you? Or, like... Uh, yeah, I think there's often a frustration that people think you've had an easy life or a very privileged life. Because, you know, I'm from Hampshire. I yeah. sound posh. I'm, I'm white. I've you know totally polite (laughs) yeah you know I I I grew up with I grew up with people who are very wealthy I went to state school but a lot of you know work in the media people who a lot of people I work with went to private schools and Mm. um yeah we we, I think anybody who's dealing with a parent who has severe mental health problems will have to deal with financial issues Mm. and the benefit system um, and and living in an environment that's much more volatile, much more to the edge, much more to like on the breadline for want yeah. of a better word. Um, and I think that's a really important part of who my family is and who I am, because I think when you've experienced the benefit system, when you've experienced um, like the heating thing, like when mum my mum was in hospital before I was eighteen. I couldn't take control of her bank accounts. I mean, not that I don't take control of them now. We work on them mm-hmm. together, but I'm allowed to ring the bank and talk to them about her direct See, debits and set things up. that's something that never occurred to me until you started telling me about it. And yeah. I was like, oh yeah, who does look after somebody's yeah. bank account when they're in hospital? What? Yeah, and often when people have mental health problems, it can manifest itself. I mean, I say often, that's that's not right. Mm-hmm. I am, I'm constantly correcting myself and I don't want to be offensive to anyone's experience. But my mum's experience with, with mania 
means that sometimes she loses control of her finances and sometimes she will overspend. Like I remember being a child and being, we'd take, we took the coach to London and just spent fuck loads of money. But we just got like, loads of loads of toys. We bought matching tracksuits and would go to the shop and spend money. And then yeah. dad would be like, we have to take all of this back. Like, <laughs> yeah. And anyway, so when she's unwell, when I was under 18, I didn't understand. And my, my dad had left. So I didn't have an, an adult around to ask the questions to. And then you could start getting bills through the door that are red because mm. you haven't paid and the heating's off. The, the radiators are broken. What do you do? Um, and mm. I remember I, 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 I taped two um, hair dryers to the corners of my bedposts and put them on for 20 minutes before I went to bed so I could be warm in oh. bed and had hot water bottles in bed because it was cold. Um, you know, somebody smashed our front door. I couldn't fix it, so I put plastic bags over the top of the front door, but I was scared people were going to come in the house. And, mm. like, just not having the money that people might have had when their parents were earning money I think yeah like I, I you know my friends I'm not saying where I'm from was like Beverly Hills but some people were well off some people weren't as well off so I didn't it not it's not like all my friends were really mega rich and I wasn't they're you know normal working families um but like having dinner coupons at school and mm. um getting school trips for free because we didn't you know didn't 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 have the money to pay for things and I I, I remember being off off school and my friend who I actually fell out with over this and I feel really guilty because she didn't know we didn't know you know we were young and naive but mm-hmm. um someone was like where's Charlie is she okay is her mum gone into hospital because people sort of knew and if I wasn't around they knew that maybe that's why my friend was in our RS class and the teacher was like is she okay and she's like she's fine her dad gives her money for food that's like my dad gave me he gave me 40 pounds a week yeah I was living with my mum on my own we, I had no other money I had a part-time job and stuff but I was really I yeah. I, I you know I was turning 16 and I was trying to save up for a car so I could run a car so I could look after her yeah. so for me that wasn't much money and I'd do my shopping and I'd spend 20 pounds on food and things I needed for the house and then the rest of the money would go on petrol so I could visit mum and um yeah. I used to do athletics as well so I used to pay my subs and like yeah. it's just Getting getting by yeah. and the assumption that if you're claiming a benefit, you must be doing really, really well and you're fine. <laughs> or, yeah, because that's the rhetoric. Like my dad there. gave me £40 a week to buy clothes and to pay for things. So, you know, yeah. mobile phone bills. and Buses. And, but yeah. when, you're, when you're looking after somebody, you have to make sure you're in a position to always have petrol in your car. Mm. Because if she needs to get somewhere, you need to find her, you can get to her. Or if you need to buy something for her. Because... When when before she went into hospital, a lot of the time she would go off walking, or we'd lose her. We can't find her, and we're searching for her. I need. To, I yeah, as soon as I be. could drive, I wanted to drive so I could find her, mm. and take her to hospital and visit her. And it helps. It really helps with caring for somebody when you you're mobile, and then when she's in hospital, she needs things like yeah. she needs clothes, she needs treats. You want to be able to turn up with a bunch yeah. of flowers or. Do you know what I mean? I mean, yeah, it's, you might it, be the only person she's seeing. Like, yeah. So it's like you have to, yeah. So I got myself in quite a lot of financial, not trouble. I've never been in real trouble financially, but mm. definitely taken up ill-advised credit cards and overdrafts to try and maintain a certain life. And then when your friends are going on holiday, um, you dig into 
um, savings or things that you've you've had. Mm. Like my, my nana died, she left us a bit of money, so I used that money to go on oh, like yeah. tanuki with my friends and yeah. to to do all this stuff. And then everyone's like, "Well, you got this money. What's wrong with you?" And it's like, "I don't have, I don't get anything from yeah. from mum because she doesn't have anything herself." I don't know. It's hard when you see people doing things and like. Um, so Amanda Palmer has this thing about like mm. taking the donor. So instead of you know like because she like funds her life through Patreon mm. and like she always like feels really bad for saying that she's having a cocktail because it's like not Who's part of the cocktail? basic yeah. like it's this idea of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs where it's like you have like if, you, if you're struggling for money then you should only eat porridge mm. and like if yeah, you're having yeah. a donut what are you doing and it, yeah. there's that kind of like it's the like visible. the Prosecco thing when people go, ooh, Prosecco. And it's like, you do yeah, know it's, it's £5 a bottle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the different kinds of Prosecco. Yeah. You know? yeah. And um, I think it's quite important to, I mean, and this is a privileged position to say this, is it's important to try and live your your life as mm. as fully as possible and participate mm. and and have, have a drink out every so often and have you know go to the Mm. pub and I think there is a lot of shame attached to claiming benefits and for my mum she lives um at the moment she's not in hospital and she 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 lives a very quiet life because she does she feels a lot of guilt for claiming benefits for so long and Mm. having disability living allowance and um to go out for dinner she'll go out for dinner you know once every six months or you know because there's shame attached You see something in the dark Something you won't find on no sock I feel fingers down my It's that time of the year Your vacation is coming up You can already hear the beach waves Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Searching for a soul that isn't mine Come now and take it from me Search my broken body 
The worst Maybe was like, you. Tell me. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, you know, like, you, yeah. you want to see those extremes and be like, how, you know, how mm. can we help? Because I feel like, for me, like, I grew up with some friends who, who definitely, I had a very, like, happy childhood. My, my parents were, like, disgustingly in love. And, like, just, <laughs> it's so gross. But, like, <laughs> like I learned a lot about their experiences, not only from listening to them, but more from stuff like Jacqueline Wilson. So, like, ah, yeah. to, like the suitcase kid suitcase was about kid. divorced. And yeah, I was like, because yeah. all, all of my friends' parents were divorced, like, in comedy. Yeah. I was just like, nobody was together, and my parents were together, and I thought it was weird. Or, like, The Illustrated Mum, did you ever read? I, have, I haven't read it, and I need to read it, because a lot yeah. of people as an adult, have said, did you ever read these? You would have loved these when you were a kid. And I was like, nobody was told me about it. this. Yeah, nobody nobody yeah. told me about this. So I didn't have access mm. to things like that. The best, the best support and the best reactions were always my friends who were my age and who were like, oh, that's shit, mate. Let's yeah. carry on. Like, and like just people who were normal mm. about it. The worst reactions were probably the really well-meaning um adults and this isn't all of them because there are some wonderful like some some of my my friends parents really amazing and they fed me a lot they Mm. you know I let me sleep they let me sleep over when my mum was really ill and I couldn't go home and give me lifts and make check in on me but you know especially in school they were like oh should we talk about it do you want to talk about it how are you feeling it's you know it must be really sad Mm. and for me, it was it's your life, so you're not not always ready to sit down and talk about how sad it is. You much you need yeah. somebody to be like, okay, so you need to pay council tax, you need to pay gas, you need to pay electricity, like practical advice. I really yeah. missed out on. My friends were amazing because they didn't let it define me, mm. and they were always very like, chilled out about key. it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're like, we're going, us. we're going on holiday. Are you coming? How can yeah. we make you know yeah, make this happen? Possible. And when I went to university. Um, my boyfriend at the time's mum just sat me down and was just like, why on earth would you not go? Mm. Like, you've been accepted, you've got the grades, you have to go, you're going, and basically posted the letter for me. (laughs) But I had a thing where you have to get your parents' signature to say you're going, and my mum wouldn't sign it, and she called 999 because I asked her to sign it. 999's banned on our our house (laughs) phone because she used to ring it a lot. I was like, (laughs) can they block it? Yeah. Oh, no. Because she kept ringing, she kept ringing it. Um, so I, for me, just practical, practical advice, because emotionally, when you're ready, that's really good. Mm. But people offer you emotion, but but actually people don't offer you emotional support in a tangible way. They go, if you ever need to talk, you know where I am. That is really difficult to take that up. But if someone says, um, do you know how to use your lawnmower? I can show you and help you maintain the house while your mum's away or even while she's there if she can't do it or I can come round and help you do some cleaning like I didn't know you needed to dust until I was about 21 like I lived in I don't a really the dusting thing. I still think it's a myth <laughs> but like it's just yeah the practical lessons that are maybe other people learn from their parents that I didn't get to learn because mum wasn't able to teach me is what I missed I think that the kind of talking cure yeah. idea is interesting because I think a lot of mm. people I mean, it's much more common now for people to want to go and go for therapy and yeah. talk to professionals. Yeah. And it is like a professional thing in some ways. Yeah. But like, I feel feel like when it's like, if you ever need to talk, there's like literally no emotional labour for the person listening, apart from 
showing that they're listening. Yeah, Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like they can just be like, talk at me yeah. <laughs> about your issues. Whereas, and I think that's like a weird default to go to. Yeah, and I think when you're not the person who's suffering as, you know, when you're, you're a relative of somebody who's in hospital for their mental health, all the focus is on them. Mm. And it's like, are you okay? Come come find me if you need anything. But um, the the effect it has on you as, you know, to love anybody who's suffering that badly and to love anybody who is so stigmatised by society and trying to fight for them is it's gruelling and mm. it is tough however much I will do it. And, you know, mm. I, I'll always be there for her. I'll always do it, but it's tough and it's hard. Um, but... I don't know, it's difficult because the whole of your life is focused towards this person who is really struggling mm. and all, with all your might you want to look after them but there are points where you have to look after yourself mm. and it's really difficult to do that with a society that's much more set up for, um, in more recent times, mindfulness, talking therapies and understanding your own emotions and feelings but sometimes all you really need is... Mm. she needs a lift to get a prescription can you help me do that yeah. can you help me normalize this situation <laughs> yeah. and I mean I don't want to put anything down because some people find talking therapy very good I find it very emotional and very mm. difficult and maybe I've only had one session of it yeah um and often the focus is but do you think you're feeling unwell and it's like, I'm not here because I'm unwell. <laughs> Maybe like, I am a little bit unwell. I'll tell you when I realise it. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, it, it's really it's really difficult to say what the right and wrong thing is. Mm-hmm. And I really struggle. I, I think I've told you before with the online campaigns of things you shouldn't say to somebody with depression. Mm. This is how you deal with this. And I understand that creating a society where we're much more open about our mental health is so so important I'd never never say that's not a good thing to do but for somebody who has got it wrong at times who's maybe said the wrong thing to feel that weight of responsibility on you for their Mm. mental health is really hard and really damaging if you have a friend and you're pussyfooting around them that might not be helping them but you as well cannot be responsible for their mental health Mm. if you behave the wrong way around somebody who's suffering with their mental health that doesn't mean that you are the reason that they feel suicidal that you're the reason they feel depressed um and the campaign we need to really get behind is to get more funding for the nhs that is the 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 way we do this is to have our systems of authority say this is very 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 important and we are going to make this better so we can normalize it so when people go into hospital they don't freak out because all they see is horrible depictions of mental health in films. Like mm. growing up with one flow of the cuckoo's nest <laughs> like, is no, really it's not <laughs> yeah and or like then, Jane yeah. Eyre with the crazy wife and the attic. exactly like, and then now we're moving towards a much more accepting society. But there's no fucking money. Yeah. So we can all be like, I understand you, we're all okay. Oh, go to hospital. <laughs> you might have to sleep on the floor because there isn't any beds, but we're still going to section you anyway. Oh, we're going to put you in a prison cell because you seem like a, a, a damaged yourself. It's like, it's so damaging. Yeah. And I don't, I, we, even like Prince William and Harry and Kate sitting down talking about their mental health, I'm like, it's really nice to see. And I wouldn't, I don't want to put it down. Yeah, you don't want to be but like, I don't want that to happen. But... I, we need your help elsewhere as well. We need yeah. do, we need money. I mean, it can. It's while it's like a good contributor to the conversation, and there is a certain type of 
person that will react really well to Prince Harry talking about his mental health. Yeah. And unfortunately for them and their attitudes to life, they're the only kind of people that will actually make them listen. Yeah. <laughs> because they're so, like, I don't mm. know, they're really, like, people who respect the monarchy in that way mm. might have been like, mental health's a pile of bullshit. And then they see, <laughs> then they see Prince Harry talking about it and they're like, well, yeah. <laughs> the prince has spoken. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's kind of like, say, catch up to where we're at, mate, because we've been talking about this for a long time. Yeah. Maybe that's like, really, that been, is Harry? rude. I don't mean it. I, don't I mean, mean, he's it. been struggling with his mum's death or whatever. No, 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 it's horrible, no, no. but 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 you know, I know what you mean. It can be used as a like diversion tactic. To yeah, like, look over here, look over here. Don't look at the actual real mm. life effects of pulling NHS funding for mental health. Look over here, Prince Harry. Ooh. Yeah, and it's yeah. Well, I suppose it's the issue with charity giving rather mm. than um, the government getting behind things. Yeah, like I mean, Mind Mental Health Charity are insanely good. They are amazing. <laughs> that, that should be their slogan. Mm. Mine. Insanely oh my good. god, I've done it again. <laughs> I love it though. I keep using. I don't feel like I but use then, that as soon as we turn on the microphone. I keep saying this. This is awful. But then, how do you feel? Again, that's another like one of my like stupid questions I want to ask. Mm. Is like, how do you feel about those words? Because I am catching myself really recently mm. saying them a lot. I yeah. was like, but what are the other words? And you know, when yeah, when we police our all of our, I don't know. All of our language in that way, mm. does it stop being effective? Like I, I think about it with the um I mean, I might a lot of people might disagree with me and I can I can't speak for anybody mm. else but myself. But my mum my mum uses the word crazy a lot. Yeah. And she'd be like, When I was crazy or I'm feeling a bit crazy today and it's it's language we use within ourselves. And it's like using um with body positive movements to being like, No, you can call me fat. Because fat isn't bad. Don't pret- yeah, exactly. Um, for me, I feel like um, the assumption that somebody... Calling somebody crazy and calling somebody insane is bad because you're putting that on somebody's personality mm. and you're making an assumption about their mental health. But to call a situation crazy for me isn't as bad and that maybe that's why I use it but maybe I'm wrong and I'm still very much learning and trying to understand the the way we need to talk about things versus my experience because when I was younger you know in the 90s and early noughties Mm -hmm. there wasn't a dialogue about mental health so we made up our own rules in my house (laughs) and I was people often would never challenge me on the way I speak about things because my mum's had this experience, my family's had this experience. So then you come into the wider world, especially the world of social media and um, more largely the intellectual world where they're saying, you're saying the wrong thing. And I'm I'm still learning what the right thing to say is. But my intention Mm. is of love and equality for everybody who's suffering, uh, you know. But I'm I'm getting it wrong and I'm still learning. And I think we will never stop learning how to talk about all of yeah. these things. Again, I don't know if mine's like a controversial attitude, but I mm. feel like while it's important to have conversations about language, mm. it's not as important as actually doing things about it. And yeah. whatever, stopping people from like silencing people by telling them they're talking about it in the wrong way mm-hmm. um, stops maybe the people that really yeah. need to talk about it from talking about it or yeah. feeling like they can because yeah. there's this academic conversation happening. Because even in places like Tumblr, I feel like there's lots of, young people now who might have been you like 10 years ago yeah who aren't on tumblr and aren't having these really progressive conversations and don't understand as a third you know lots of genders and you know they're not they're not part of that conversation and when you say you're saying the word crazy you can't say that yeah you shut down 
those people that it is a class thing as well I think yeah I don't know and an intellect thing definitely but, it's yeah. something I really struggle with and it's something that mm-hmm. I feel like I get wrong a lot mm-hmm. and I do have to struggle um sorry I, I do struggle to keep speaking mm-hmm. because I do feel quite silenced by when I get something wrong I think oh shit I need to not talk about that and I mm-hmm. need to be stronger and be like no learn yeah. understand think about it within its context mm-hmm. and try and form new ways to have that conversation and then but then I, I feel the same about um sexism and gender inequality mm. I've been brought up in a world that is inherently sexist I have I'm unlearning so many things every mm. day um and every time you're thinking and being conscious you're you're you're, you're trying to work towards something and then suddenly you're like for me like I'll relax and say something and I'm like fucking hell why did I say that it's so stupid mm. but yeah I think it's it's a conversation we've got to have but it we have to be very, very careful to yeah. not to not underplay the funding for the NHS and underplay the fact that if you're really suffering with your mental health, the place that you need to go is to the doctor. And to, there yeah, is no shame in that. Rather than professionals. feeling like as a friend, if you say the wrong word or you say the wrong thing, that you're damaging somebody. Because with my mum... I, you know, I grew up with somebody who was particularly volatile and changeable. And as a teenager who was particularly volatile and changeable, it could be quite, uh, you know, a toxic environment to be in. And there's lots of arguments in our house. There was lots of... um, I grew up in a house where a slap around the face wasn't a problem. I grew you know, I... You were punished with a smacked bottom when you are a child as you got older... It, violence was still used as a way to control us as as children. So mm. there, and for other people, that's really shocking. But in my experience, like I, I mean, for example, when I was eighteen, my my dad had left and he'd started a new relationship, and my mum found out. But she was in um, feeling particularly unwell, and actually after this event, she was sectioned about a week later. But um, we had an argument. There was um, a very, you know, very passionate, upsetting argument about me visiting my dad. She didn't want me to go. She didn't want me to leave to go and see them. Um, it resulted in, you know, a slap around the face, a bit of pushing, and she eventually locked me in the living room of our house, and I couldn't get out, and I needed to leave. And we were screaming at each other from both sides of the door. It was horrible. And for me to get out, I kept trying to open the door, and she kept slamming it back on me. And then to get out, I opened the door and I kicked her out of the way mm. and walked out of the house. And I'm not saying I didn't... She didn't land on the floor or anything. I didn't mm. hurt her, but I used force to get out. And yeah. she rang the police. And then the police rang me. And they're like, they were like, I think you know why we're calling you. And I was like, oh, is it because my tax disc is out of date <laughs> or something? <laughs> oh. I, I, yeah. di- I didn't know because... But for us that physical side of an argument wasn't unusual. I'm not saying we used to beat the shit out of each other. Yeah, but, but yeah. you know, if I spoke out of turn, she'd slap me around the face. Mm. And as I got older, she if she was blocking my entrance, I'd try and push her to get out of the way. It's the same way she'd push me. And, mm. you know. Anyway, so I ended up getting caution from the police for assault. And I had, my, I had to have my 
fingerprints taken, my DNA taken, had to have a mug shot, you know, and it was all very, very serious. And the police, they said to me, you know, you have admitted that you have used physical violence against her and you threatened her because in the throngs of the argument, Mm. I was... I don't know. I don't know what I said. You it was like young, something like... Because she... Did you say that she'd hit you as well? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. So it was always... I'm, I don't want to be like, she always threw the first punch or yeah, <laughs> anything yeah. like that. But um, there's the, it, it was never a situation where I would just hit her and she, yeah, wouldn't, yeah, yeah. she wouldn't have done anything. Um, and that's not to say that she was to blame or I was to blame. It was just the way we behaved. And I got a caution for it. And the police were like look, we understand the situation that you're in and how difficult and we wouldn't want to do this to you at this age and seeing mm. the situation. You're not in a bar brawl. You, you haven't yeah. beat, beat somebody up. You're but not a you, danger to the public or your mum or yeah. anyone. But, but mm. they had to do it because I came in and they were, you know, they, they, they were like, we want to interview you. I was like, sure, Re- yeah. you know, tape recording what happened. Oh and God, then I was like, yeah, and, and as I opened the door, I like yeah. kicked her, I pushed her with my foot or what, yeah. whatever way I want to try and downplay this because I understand that from my perspective, I don't want to sound like an absolute animal. But mm. um, yeah, so the environment that I grew up in is not PC. Mm. So I really struggle to be, to be PC. I don't remember why I started this chat. But no, but I, it I was, think it's important to be like, th- these things happen and they're not, it's part of your experience mm. and, and you're, when it's your experience, you're allowed to talk about it yeah. and label it how you like. Like, obviously mm. everyone can, like, filter it through whatever prison they're using. Yeah. But and you get at the s- end of the day, like, I'm never going to be like, well, this is what Charlie's childhood was like. and blah, blah, blah. Charlie's like, really violent. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. Her. But, um, you I, know. I, um, I do a thing. I mean, this is, I don't, I haven't really told many people this, but when I get very, very upset, um, when I have, really kind of bad arguments or when something really bad's happened I I punch myself yeah. and that sounds really silly mm-hmm. but I punch myself out of frustration on my yeah. legs and on my head and it's really bad and I'm really really trying to stop doing it but I have grown up in quite um I don't want to say violent household because it's not as if I feel like I've been violently or like physically abused mm. but there are in the nineties. There were lots of households where the children got a smack bottom. Yeah, definitely. And I then that, got a smack bottom, and so. that goes, mm. that grows to larger things when you get older and when your family's under so much stress. So I'm violent towards myself when I have feelings of guilt and feelings of frustration and upset that mm. I'm trying to deal with because I go, I go, I go to quite a dark place sometimes. I don't, yeah. know, I don't know really know why. Um, and but then I've spoken to some other people and a, a, a few people who have had members of their family who are either dealing with alcoholism, drug addiction, or serious mental health problems um, have had um, serious things. I actually spoke to someone last week who um, I had to ask for, for for work if he'd had any convictions, and he was like, "I I punched my brother once because he's an alcoholic and he came at me." And they, and you so know, that, is that when, on his record? Now, yeah, like, and. Yeah. I I wasn't in a position to confide in him what happened to me, but I really wanted to reach out to him and be like, that's happened to me, and I understand like, the shame you must feel you. about yeah. that. And, you know, it for me, it 
delayed my career I wanted to be a teacher I couldn't do that because I had a caution um last year I had to travel to the U.S. for work and in the U.S. cautions in the U.K. cautions are spent within five years so it's not on my record anymore here Mm. but when the U.S. does checks for your visas they go all the way back so if anything's ever happened so I had to confront it again and I had to go into the U.S. embassy just terrified that I'd be Mm. found out that I've had this a, a criminal history or for assault it just says assault it doesn't yeah. say that the situation you were in and the stress you were under or the mm. the relationship you had and it doesn't say that they hit you too or you know <laughs> yeah but when you know with the at the police station they were like look do you want to press charges and I was like no like yeah. but she did because she wasn't very well or, or no she didn't actually want to press charges she just wanted she wanted to tell them what had happened and um she was sectioned a week after and was in hospital for quite a long time that time she was particularly unwell I think my my dad leaving was quite hard on her but um yeah I think that sort of stuff feels very shameful and very secret but it probably yeah, happens to a lot it, more people does it feel like when you're in these kind of like very civilized institutions that are like mm. we just need to do a check on you for everything we yeah. can't ima- it's more like an imagination thing of like yeah. like there's, there's a red there's like a kind of red light that goes on it's yeah. like, but you're buzzed out because you've got a thing on your yeah on your and record it, without having an imagination as to why or like what your situation is. And I think yeah. a lot of people who maybe got in trouble when they were younger and for very 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 different reasons. Like mm-hmm. you can't escape that. You always feel like that's a part of you. And when you you have a, a parent or a family member who's got really severe mental health problems, you're expected to be perfect all of the time. Mm-hmm. Like if you lose your shit with them because they're going on and on about something or they're, mm. they're, they're preventing you from doing something, um, the guilt that's attached to it is huge. And people are like, why did you shout at your mum? You know, she's, she's not very Ill. well. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, yeah, she's been ill all my life. Yeah. And it sometimes it's it does get like... to you. And you have to be able to have a normal, not a normal relationship because obviously violence and too, you know yeah. too much aggression isn't normal, but... To lo- like lose your temper with your mum and be like, Mum, just leave me alone is is normal. But yeah. when with that element to it, people yeah, think like, people think you're really mean and it's like, no, because I have to be able to have my feelings have to be valid as well. Mm. Um but that's still something I really struggle with. I've got I've got a lot of guilt in me mm. that I don't know where to put. Yeah. Because I, you know, I was a teenager mm. when mum was really, really sick. Yeah. So, you know, there were things that she'd yeah, do that I wouldn't understand, and I'd be like, "Mum, just shut up," <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, like when she tells everyone that you've got AIDS, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I imagine the argument wasn't yeah <laughs> that ensued wasn't there. Yeah, exactly. So it wasn't gonna I mean, be I l- too, like I see where you're coming from mm. with the fact that you think I have AIDS. Like, yeah, you're not gonna you, you, come home and go, okay. You're gonna be banging on the door, being, "Mum, let me in. You yeah. can't chuck me out," and then you have to go yeah. to your friend's house. And yeah. but that behaviour probably from a neighbour's perspective, mm. they probably thought I was really mean. But yeah. and also I had it once where one of my mum's um, kind of care workers. So you have people that work with you in the community. So when you're not in hospital, they have somebody that comes to visit and mm. you talk to. And she rang me up and mum had asked me to leave again. And she just does that a lot <laughs> when she's unwell. <laughs> I mean, it's up and down. And she was just like she rang me and was like so you and your mother have a particularly prickly relationship, don't you? And I was like, um, she's suffering with um, a very... She's suffering with psychosis and um, parts of schizophrenia and ma- a manic disorder. Mm. 
and you're going to come to me to say your relationship's prickly. I'm, yeah, I'm like, her, that's I'm going to chafe. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm her daughter. Like that really hurts <laughs> because yeah. obviously, all no, no mother and daughter have a completely happy relationship all the time. Yeah. But when you throw in the stress of personality changes, mm-hmm. things are difficult, mm-hmm. and I think people um, just assume that me and my mum are like best friends and we were like more like sisters because she's been ill <laughs> rather yeah, than her being a traditional like, mum it's not it's a sorority like, of... yeah it she's not always grateful for the help I give her she yeah. often doesn't want me to get involved in things and I have to try and get my way in um in a way that's not upsetting her balance and it's, it's always a case of trying to balance everything when you know it really affects your relationship if you have to sign a piece of paper to say you're going to be detained under the mental health act that's basically sending sending your family member to hospital prison. <laughs> like yeah. you would never be like, yeah, I definitely. That's so sisterly. I, I, I def- <laughs> and then we painted each other's nails and braided each yeah, other's Yeah, exactly. And some days she wouldn't want to see me. Some days she did want to see me. And yeah, um, yeah. yeah. It's, it's fucking minefield. <laughs> <laughs> I'm naive, and I think that when we first became friends and you were telling me about it, I couldn't believe that there wasn't more support for you. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I always thought like. God, there should be, like, do you feel like you've got enough support from... I don't know, I always feel that if you're under 18, probably social services get involved and they sort it out. That's not... Is that a really stupid view to take? Like, is that... Not really. I don't think anybody ever asked us if we were on our own at home. Yeah. Maybe there's a rule for if you're over 16, because I think when I was 16, it was me and mum at home, but she wasn't very well. So maybe Mm. that counts as having a parent at home. Mm. Um, but the only people that really checked on us were people at the church and mum mum gets really religious when she's um, feeling unwell so Mm -hmm. we have got a connection with the local church and we're always like oh god the church boring (laughs) and but then one Christmas they left a hamper outside full of and you were like change my mind yeah literally it was a whole Christmas dinner in a basket that they gave us and like one year me and my brother we had um, my mum came out of hospital for like two hours on Christmas Day and we cut a sausage into three and had um, we had bacon, baked beans and like some potatoes because me and my brother just didn't, we didn't really have much yeah. in. Um, yeah. <laughs> and like, yeah. that sounds like we were like on the line. We were fine, but it's, it, like... it's creating, it's being able to afford all the, all the things for events. Mm. But people don't really help you as the person who looks after your parent mum will receive the benefits when you know how to get them for her but you don't really get much for you and the the care and the community people talk to you about her but not they don't really talk to you about you and if they do they're like do you think you're feeling unwell and it's like there's a line of whether you're unwell or not unwell whether you need help do you know what I mean yeah um I, you made me think a lot when you were talking about like um, like mindfulness and talking about things because I feel like a lot of the time, maybe almost like social media and Facebook yeah. has become this talking therapy for us. Mm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And this kind of like that's how we you will just talk about it on mm. social media and then it's fine. Mm. Um, I find social media quite tough because you can never see somebody's facial expression, their tone of voice or mm. their body language when they're saying something to you because often the, the conversation around mental health we challenge each other a lot um 
So it's quite easy to retreat into silence or retreat out of a conversation if you feel like you don't have the information, the same information that other people have got. Whereas if you're sitting down with somebody who has a lot of information about mental health and you can have a conversation with them and know that they're not judging you for not knowing or mm. it's much easier. And I, I mean, maybe I'm a bit too old for using social media to help me because when I was, I, I got social media, Facebook started when I was at university. Mm. So I was quite far down our road by that point Mm. so I never that was never Mm. somewhere I went for help and also having um somebody who has mental health problems in your home isolates you quite a lot from Mm. other people and it's not something you want to always talk about Mm. and sometimes when you're with your friends even if it's just being online with your friends you want to talk about anything but that because it's defined Mm. so much else of your life yeah definitely You'd rather just post a nice selfie up when actually in the other room something really bad's happening or like, you know. You're like, it's fine, I'll put a filter on it. Yeah, exactly. Like sometimes you just want to participate in the normal stuff. Yeah, but I think it's kind of like just, I don't know, I'm trying to have more of an imagination of what's behind what somebody's doing online. Do you know what I mean? Just be like, I don't know. That's the next step I could imagine. (laughs) I'm not going to presume, but I am going to be like, there's more to all of these stories than we see. There's much more to all of us than the thing we portray portray online. Mm. Yeah, Yeah. I I think the thing that we can do to help each other is by just giving each other practical practical help mm. and talking amongst the practical help yeah like you know if if somebody you know has just had their parent go into the hospital yeah give them a lift to the supermarket and help them do their shopping yeah. and chat to them and then find it's out like the find out what they need yeah rather than the online work that and ra- rather than the come to me if you ever need anything and i'm really guilty of saying that to people mm. um but you don't often feel empowered to, mm. to come to somebody to, to ask them for help when you need it mm. so it's more like spotting and suggesting being like I'm going to come and help you yeah. with rather than yeah. do you know what though I feel yeah. really I feel really underqualified or I don't feel right giving advice to people mm. because what works for me and what works for my mum doesn't work for everybody some people do you know some people do need people to talk to or yeah. want to take people up on that or go to talking therapy and do the things that maybe I've not done Mm. so I don't think that I think understanding that there isn't one way to deal with mental health is the the path to equality it's like I think the answer is there is no answer yeah the (laughs) answer is you have to understand that your mental health is just is 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 varied and you could get sick too so think Mm. about how we can make things nicer and less scary for everybody almost like funding the NHS yeah almost a bit of money behind it funny um yeah yeah. Like mental health services. When I was really young, my mm. dad had a job that gave him private health care. So um, my mum spent time in the Priory, which Ooh. is where we hear most of the stories about mental health from. When yeah. I Because I, I, I read books about mental health. If I see something come up of someone's mental health experience, I'll read it to find out a bit more about them. And the spokespeople that we hear in the media who talk about mental health, like um, Ruby Wax, Frank Bruno, mm. or just people who are... Bit, bit, you know, have a bit more money, but who, yeah. who are privileged enough to be able to afford to go to places like the Priory or private healthcare, mental health. But having been a child visiting her there, then, you know, at a point, private healthcare with a company runs out and then you have to go to the NHS hospital and seeing the stark difference between the way you're treated in private healthcare and 
NHS healthcare is insane. I've never... It's not a case of first-class economy seats on a plane. This This is a completely different way to be. It's from being in a place that has lovely cushions and feels... I'm not saying it is... I don't know. I don't want to degrade people's experience by saying you had an easy ride because they don't, because their mm. mental health is still bad and it's still valid and it's still uh, an experience that mm. is theirs. But it feel an NHS mental health top security places are like prisons. Yeah, you know, and it's uncomfortable. It smells. It's there's not enough showers. There's not there's not enough care. You know, yeah. for the people that are in there. Whereas in other places that people pay for care are much, much, much more comfortable. Yeah. So you think sometimes these figureheads of, like, mental health are, yeah. like, cool, but maybe we, like, really wax, we've heard enough from you. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So And also in the media, they're like, oh, Susan Boyle's gone for a rest. And it's like, sure, I know you might not want to put a label on your mental health condition, mm. but we can't see these places as places people go for a rest because they're not the places people go to get better when they feel like they have a so mental health illness rather yeah. than, you yeah. know. Um, but yeah, seeing, seeing the difference between NHS and private is huge. Mm. And I, when I try and bring it up, people are like, oh no, don't you think we just need to focus on mental health? And it's like, well, this is a really huge part of mental health, like the class structure within it, the way that if you're from a a, a poorer family or more, more working class, your social status isn't as high. Your ability to talk about it is very different. If you have... Mm. Um, a very severe addiction to alcohol and you have no money your life experience is a million miles away from somebody who has a lot of money and can put you into a a rehab facility and I think we need to understand that mental health isn't just depression or self-harm it's alcoholism it's eating disorders there's so many elements and aspects to it that we all face we're very comfortable with a celebrity having a drug addiction we're very comfortable with somebody going to rehab for Mm. for something but what they're doing is they're going to seek care for their mental health in the same way that my mother does when she my mother I don't know why I'm going to say posh (laughs) when (laughs) I feel like I'm addressing the nation when when you know when she when she gets sectioned that's the same thing if a celebrity can you know for example, if Russell Bang can come come out the other side of his drug addiction and be present in everyday life, and we all love him, love and respect him, we can do the same for my mum. But yeah. I don't feel like she's afforded that same privilege by people yeah, because she, for her, that she'll always be someone who's sick and somebody who who's benefit. Need, yeah, yeah, we need to worry about. And actually, there are times when she's okay. Mm. Yeah, just a person. I feel like I've stopped breathing again. Like, I feel like going on a little rant. I was like, I need, there's something I want to say, and am I going to say um, it in the right I way? I have to finish up, because I'll probably do, like, an outro anyway. But I don't know. Is there anything else you want to, you know? Mm, I don't know. We covered a lot of bases. Yeah. I think that the wild, the wild side of having a parent who's struggling with their mental health in whichever form is something that you can only really understand if you've been through it. If you have stories of police visits in the middle of the night of you know of crazy yeah. shopping trips to to to, to harrods with you with your <laughs> mum as a child where you, you spend any money your family thought they had um and it's really it is sometimes it can be hilariously funny yeah and we have to recognize it for how kind of weird and wonderful yeah, and it it's is allowed to be funny and also like concern like yeah. a concern for that people should have and like try to change it but mm. it's also 
And one thing that I always struggled with was feeling like I'm either doing okay or I'm just a fucked up kid because of my mum. And it's like, (laughs) you can be, you can have your own issues whilst not being totally fucked up. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. And you you can be doing well whilst not pretending that everything is 100% okay. Because I always feel like if I talk about my own personal mental health, everyone goes, oh, well, you know why. Or it's hereditary, or she's had a really tough time. It's like, I'm not, I'm just like everybody else. My experience is slightly different to yours. Yes, when I come to your house, I will want to sit with your mum and get cuddles from her because my mum didn't really do that with me. I will want that, (laughs) and I will crave that for the rest of my days because all I want is a mum that looked after me. But I'm fine, and everyone's experience, no one, not not many people actually have that (laughs) mum or that parent that will do that for them. So, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Let me rant at you. I feel like you've said about two words and I've said everything else. I always feel like comfortable talking to you about it because I feel like you won't let me ask questions and you never make me feel stupid. episode of I'm Not Being Funny but hosted by me, Lena Norms. You can follow me at L-E-E-N-A-N-O-R-M-S on Twitter. Also a link in the description where you can join the mailing list so you never miss an episode. Please do review us on iTunes if you can. The music today was provided by Ashlyn Evans. I absolutely bloody love her music. I'm a Patreon. She's just released a new EP. You've got it. You've got to go and listen to it. Thank you to Charlie for sharing her experiences. She has an amazing podcast with her friend Ruby called Das, D-A-S. I'll leave the link to it below. It's amazing. And you can follow Charlie at Charlie Braids. Thank you also to my friends in the Gumption Club. The Gumption Club is a Patreon-based creative community that I run. You get a free poetry collection from me for signing up. I'll leave the links to that below. Quite frankly, I'm going to go because I'm getting a dead leg. I'm recording this, as always, in a cupboard under some stairs. Call me the girl who podcasted. Okay. Log off and bug off. broken body Then leave it as you found Tread lightly I don't take to chaos kindly And go without a sound Go without a sound Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors saving you money and potentially your cat's life pretty litter is veterinary and developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home go to prettylitter.com and use code acast for 20 percent off your first order and a free cat toy terms and conditions apply see site for details a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.